This morning's reading comes from Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, and could be found in the Pew Bibles or the Church Bibles on page 1,234. Revelation 2, starting at verse 18. To the angels of the church in Tyrathyra write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you, entire Thyra, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learnt Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carly, very much. Let's pray together that the Lord will speak to us through this letter this morning. Lord God, our Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. You haven't left us to guess what you are like. You've spoken down the years through your prophets, supremely through Jesus. And we thank you that we have your word to us in the scriptures. Shine the light of your Holy Spirit now, we pray, afresh on these scriptures. Fill me as I preach, fill each one of us as we listen, and may we hear you speak to us as individuals and as a church. And we pray for courage and grace uh, to go where you lead, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could choose one word that would best describe what you would most like to be, I wonder what you would choose. Beautiful, funny, rich, thin, clever, successful, happy. I don't know, what, what word would you choose? I wonder what sort of people you choose for company. Again, what are their characteristics? What do you choose? Who do you like to be with? What about God? Uh, what do you think he would most like you to be? Uh, he made us. He knows what's best for us. What does he want for us? I wonder if any of you came up with the word holy 
as what you would most like to be or what God would most like you to be. You might have done, because it's there as a, a clue that that's what I'm preaching about this morning, and we've sung songs about it already, so you may well have done. Uh, just before we come to this letter to Thyatira, a few things about holiness. Uh, Paul writes to, one Thess- to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. If we can put that up, Martin. There we go. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, means to be made holy. And in that context, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Though actually, that's, the, that's always the issue, or one of the issues with holiness. Sanctified means to be made holy. In John 17, Jesus prayed for us, sanctify them and make them holy by your truth. Now, the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 14 put it like this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And there's no doubt, reading through the scripture, that God wants us to be holy. He puts his Holy Spirit in us to help us become more holy. God chooses holy people because he supremely is holy. In Revelation 4, John gets the vision of what's going on in heaven, the worship of the angels, the same vision that Isaiah had all those years before. Revelation 4 and verse 8, this refrain that goes through. Have we got that one, Martin? Maybe not, but holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 that refrain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So what is holiness? If God is holy and he wants us to be holy, what is it? Uh, It gets a bit of a bad press, I think, in the world around, if anybody even thinks about it at all these days. It conjures up the idea of being priggish or insufferable, maybe negative or a bit pious or superior or goody-goody or holier-than-thou or negative. I think those are some of the things that people around might think when we say holy. But the only one truly holy person who ever lived was the Lord Jesus and he led the most attractive life that has ever been lived. Strong, gentle, pure, courageous, perfect. He enjoyed life. Uh, He was happy at parties, so much so his enemies accused him of being a womanizer and a drunkard, though he wasn't either of those, but he enjoyed male and female company. He was very happy to enjoy wine as God's gift. Jesus models for us what holiness is. And this collection of words of holy or sanctify means to make holy, Sanctification is the process of becoming more holy. Or a similar word related, the word saint. A saint is a holy one who is being made holy. Uh, In the New Testament terms, every Christian is a saint. In our day and age, the word tends to be reserved for people from the past uh, who folks are particularly impressed with. Currently this week, John Newman uh, in the Catholic Church being made a, a saint. But in the New Testament term, everyone is a saint. St. Paul will write to, if he wrote a letter to the church in Leamington, he would write to the saints in Leamington. You have being made holy. You've been made holy by God. You're being made holy. And holiness is this purity that is a separation from sin. Sin is what spoils us from being the people God's made us to be. Sin is what makes us less than fully ourselves. Uh, To be made holy is to be made separate 
from sin. So let me use an illustration. If you're at all familiar with hospitals, you know in the operating theatres, no one is allowed in there unless they are clean and clean and clean as can be, scrubbed up uh, as much as possible. I've only been uh, in the operating theatre once, as now I think once I was a little toddler, but I don't remember that. But I remember when our twins were delivered by caesarean and I had to wash everything and wear all these very clean clothes to be in there. There's a settled attitude of hostility to germs in an operating theatre, rightly. Holiness, if you like, is a settled attitude of hostility to sin. We are to be separate from it because it spoils our life. And an image that's used in the Bible of holiness is of pure light. So if we could put up Hebrews 12, 29. Uh, This says, our God is a consuming fire. Just imagine pure light if you can. Now the lights in here are perfectly adequate uh, for us to see each other, to read the scriptures, to see what's going on. If we had football stadium lights in here, it would be a whole lot brighter, but it would be really uncomfortable and we might start burning. Uh, The light of the sun, we can't even look at directly from 93 million miles. God's holiness is like a pure light. And sinful men and women like you and me can't just walk into God's presence. We would be consumed because God's holiness is opposed to sin. So in the Old Testament, there was an elaborate sacrificial system to make the point that sin has to be paid for, that sinful men and women can't just walk into the presence of a holy God. We celebrate in our communion service today that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all our sin. He took the whole eternity of it on himself so we can be forgiven. And that means we can be made holy. We are treated by God as if we'd never sinned because Jesus has paid the price. So Hebrews 10.10 puts it like this. Uh, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the New Testament uses the word holy sometimes as a status. This is your status. If you are a Christian, if you've bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord, you have been washed clean of your sin, you have been made holy, you are a saint. Uh, But there's another sense of the word, and that is where we're told to become more holy. And that's more of an aspect of our character. Because we all know jolly well that we're not perfect, and there's stuff that we get wrong. We're forgiven, so our status is holy, but we have to become more holy. So Hebrews 12, verse 10. uh, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Through all the things that happen in life, whether they're good or bad things, God is working to use those to help us to become more like Jesus, more holy. And verse 14 of Hebrews 12 puts it like this. Make every effort to be holy. We saw this one earlier. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord. So I thought it was important to have a sort of a general introduction to holiness. God is holy. In our sinfulness, we are not, but by bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord, we are washed clean because of what Jesus did on the cross. This amazing gift of forgiveness that we can approach a holy God and not just approach him from a distance, but call him our heavenly father and become intimate with him. But we're not to take that for granted. We don't become over chummy with God. He's still God and there's a holy reverence and we are to become more holy and God wants his people to be more holy, more pure, more distinct uh, from a sinful world. Uh, Like um, we sang in that song earlier, like shining with God's light, like a city on a hill that is attractive. Holiness properly understood is beautifully attractive. 
Uh, so we come to our letter to Thyatira today in Revelation chapter 2, if we can put up verses 18 and 19. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. We're seeing this is the fourth of seven letters to churches in modern-day Turkey, and in each one, something of God's character, the risen Lord Jesus, is portrayed. And here it's his holiness, blazing fire, feet like burnished bronze. There is an utter purity to him. And it's in that holiness and purity that he speaks to the church in Thyatira. Uh, He says to each church that he knows them. Uh, Usually he knows some things that are good, and some things that are not good. We saw one church that was suffering terribly in Smyrna last week where God only said good things to them. We'll come across one church where it's only bad things that are said. Here it's a bit of both. Uh, The good stuff in verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. Uh, And that you're now doing more than you did at first. This is a good church, it's growing, It's working, it's deeds, and it's loving. You might remember the church in Ephesus. God knew their deeds, but they'd lost their love. Here's a church that's loving and doing stuff. It's persevering in the face of suffering. It sounds like a fantastic church, a really, really good church. And the risen Jesus says he sees and he knows. But he has something against them. Before we... uh, before we come on to that, let's just put our map up so you can see where we're talking about. So for those of you who haven't been here, uh, John is writing from the island of Patmos. Uh, there, that's where the black dot is. There's persecution under Caesar Domitian. It's the end of the first century. He's in exile. These letters are going to these seven churches uh, in order as the postman would deliver them. Ephesus, number one, then Smyrna, number two, then Pergamon. We've sort of turned the corner. We're at number four, Thyatira. And Thyatira did not have the beauty or magnificence of Ephesus or indeed Smyrna. It wasn't nearly so impressive, but it was a thriving centre of commerce and trade. Uh, Archaeologists have dug various things up and found inscriptions revealing numerous trade guilds in Thyatira. There were associations for bakers and bronze workers, clothiers and cobblers, weavers, tanners, dyers, potters, and much more. Probably the most famous person you know from Thyatira was Lydia, who was the first convert. Uh, Paul met her in Philippi, uh, the first church in Europe. Uh, This is the story from Acts 16, 13 to 15, if we can put that up, where St. Paul went to Philippi. There was no synagogue there. He went down to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So uh, Thyatira is famous for its dyes. Purple, a really expensive dye, which is why the Roman senators wore purple. So I always imagine Lydia as a dealer in high fashion. If you met Lydia, darling, here I have some of my purple cloth. But she's come from Thyatira. She's successful. And uh, let's just go on to the next verse, what happens. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. And a church started in her home. Now, I don't know whether Lydia went back home to Thyatira and she told the gospel of Jesus, or who it was that did that, but there was this trade. And Thyatira has had a church founded, and now a good church. 
all these different trades and guilds there. And I think of it as a manufacturing town, perhaps a bit like an ancient Coventry, where there are all the guilds of all the different manufacturing things and still guild houses there. These guilds, though, each of them would have been dedicated to a Roman or Greek god, and the guild parties would have involved sacrificing to these idols, and most of them, from what we know of Roman and Greek times, would have degenerated into drunkenness and indeed sexual immorality. And that gives us a bit of the context. So you're a Christian in Thyatira. You're, one, you're part of a church that's healthy, they're doing stuff, they're loving, there's persecution, but they're standing firm. But, in, but you have a job in one of these guilds, and the guild requires all its people to come and sacrifice to the Roman god or the Greek god, and you know that there will be drunkenness and sexual immorality. But if you don't go, you might lose your job. What are you to do? That's the sort of situation that we think they're facing in Thyatira. There's something in all of us that just wants to fit in and be accepted. Something in all of us that the temptation is to go quiet and just put our head down and hope it goes away. But Jesus calls his people to be different, to shine with God's light, as we sang earlier, to be holy, to be distinctive. Uh, not to be distinctive by being weird, but they weren't to sacrifice to Caesar, the emperor. They weren't to indulge in idolatry or sexual immorality. They were to be different by the positive quality of their loving relationships with each other. Holiness is properly a, a no to what makes us less than human and yes to what makes us fully human. Now, all too often, we want to be the same as uh, everybody else. Uh, one of my favourite illustrations from the Alpha course uh, comes near the end of the course. Uh, sometimes it gets missed out, uh, which is always a shame. Uh, but let me read this to you. This is talking about how we can live our lives for Jesus. And here's an illustration uh, from probably a generation ago. But a young police officer was taking his final exam at Hendon Police College in North London. Here is one of the questions. You are on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector, who is at present away in the USA. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realise he's wanted for robbery. Suddenly a man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion, and he says he can't swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. Um, this officer apparently wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> and who can blame him? Now, when it comes to the pressure on us as Christians in the world around, if you're the only Christian in a workplace, that is the temptation. To, as it were, pretend we're not followers of Jesus, just to go quiet and mingle with the crowd. And you will know the places where the pressure to compromise your Christian faith is. It won't be exactly the same as it was for the people in Thyatira. But it looks like they were compromising uh, their faith. Uh, too often, in the West especially, Christians are a bit chameleon-like. When we're with the Lord's people, we sing his praise, we rejoice. 
When we're out in the world, we become just the same as everybody else and not distinctive. Uh, it reminds me when uh, I was growing up, uh, I've always been a Spurs fan, and most of the year that's a tough thing to be, though last year it was a good thing to be, this year we were a bit quieter about it all. Uh, I grew up near Oxford, Oxford was my local team, they were in the old third division, what's now called Division One, uh, but it was third division in old money. Uh, I never really knew who I supported, was I really a Spurs fan or an Oxford fan? Uh, when I was at my theological college in Oxford, amazingly Oxford got to the top flight, and I went to see Spurs play Oxford. And I thought, who am I going to support? I wound up in the Oxford end, and Spurs scored, and I wanted to cheer. I found out I am a Spurs fan. But I thought it would be unwise to cheer, and I just kept quiet around me. I didn't want to be stabbed or anything like in the Oxford end. Too often, we can be like that as Christians in the world around. We want to cheer for Jesus, but we think it might be wise to just be quieter. Now, there are times when it is right to be quiet, and there are times it is right to speak. And holy Jesus, we see, does both. Sometimes he sidesteps controversy, sometimes he goes straight for it. Uh, but we are never to compromise our faith in Jesus. If we put up the Matthew 5 reference, this is the one that we referred to in the song earlier. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, is there another verse there? A bit more? Uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to be distinctive, but with the light and the salt that comes from Jesus. And it's very difficult to work out exactly how that is. That's why we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in us to show us. In New Testament days, it was much clearer. Uh, I'm reading a brilliant book at the moment by Tom Holland, who's one of the great historians of our day, who writes big books on hundreds of years, whether it's the sort of Spartan era of Athens or whether it's the sort of rise of Islam years. He's written a book called Dominion that's just out now that is about how the West became Christian. Tom Holland is not a Christian. He said he was an atheist, probably now more agnostic. What he is struck by is how the values of the West today are so influenced by Christian thinking, the dignity of everybody, the way we should be tolerant. They, those things come deeply from Jesus. Uh, it's interesting, Richard Dawkins says, we all hold the same values and we don't need God, except that the values he says we hold all come from Jesus in the West. And Tom Holland sets this out and the early chapters that talk about the different values of the early Christians to the Roman and Greek world around them, they are like light and darkness. In our world, so many values are held similarly. It's, sometimes it's hard to know where we're distinctive. But we follow on the footsteps of Christians who've given their lives by letting their light shine uh, when it was really, really difficult for them. So what was going on in Thyatira? Let's go back to verse 20 of our reading. So it's a good church, Jesus sees everything, but verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Same two things we saw a couple of weeks ago in the letter to Pergamon. These are constant dangers for God's people. Idolatry is worshipping anything that's not God. 
So in Romans 1, Paul talked about when people worship created things rather than the creator. Instead of giving thanks to God, that inevitably leads on a slide to immorality, including sexual immorality. That's the way. It's the same back in Exodus in Moses' day when they built a golden calf and worshipped that idol. It led to an orgy and sexual immorality. The same things happen. And the same things were happening in Thyatira. Uh, there probably wasn't a literal woman called Jezebel. I'm sure there was a woman uh, gifted who was leading people astray. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab a thousand years before this, back in the days of Elijah the prophet. Jezebel was a Baal worshipper from another country than Israel who married wicked King Ahab and led the country to become Baal worshippers, which led the country into greed and not caring for the poor and all sorts of immorality, including sexual immorality. And the risen Jesus calls whatever's going on in Thyatira, he calls it with the same name of Jezebel from a thousand years before. Now, Jezebel probably did not turn up in the church in Thyatira looking like a very bad, wicked woman. But her effect was leading people the wrong way astray. I suspect she probably said, well, we're quite mature as Christians now. We're strong in our faith in Jesus. We don't need to be narrow. Why don't we get involved in our town a bit more? Um, how are we going to lead them to Jesus if we don't go along to these guild feasts? Don't be so narrow. We're not bigoted. Uh, we ought to, it's that sort of thing, I suspect, that led people. And people were easily led astray. And Jesus has against this church that it tolerates this. We are not to tolerate in our church anything that takes us away from our faith in Jesus or the truth in the scriptures. With Jesus is our model for how to engage in the world. He was thoroughly involved, but he stayed holy. That is a hard thing to do. Uh, half of us are probably more involved in the world and not as holy as we should be. The other half may be pretty holy, but not so involved in the world. And how do we do that together? Uh, now, God is rooting this out, but he gives time, first of all. So he, first of all, gives time to repent, verses 21 to 23. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. That suggests to me this is not the first time something has been said to this particular person in Thyatira. God gives time. God is patient. He's slow to anger. Uh, He's abounding in love and grace, but his patience runs out. If patience never runs out, it's not a virtue. God is patient, but there comes a day when that patience runs out. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible in a year with the Nicky Gumbel lectionary at the moment. We're just re if you're following with me, we're reading when Jerusalem fell. Jeremiah and the prophets have been saying forever to the, people, to the Old Testament people of God, if you don't repent of worshipping the Baal, you will be destroyed. And for hundreds of years this message came until eventually the judgment falls. So the risen Jesus has given this Jezebel character time to repent, but she's unwilling. So judgment will fall, verse 22. I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I'll strike her children dead. This seems to be, there's a lot of figurative language, but there's the fruit of all the people who have gone astray. And remember in the, Old Te in the New Testament, in Acts, there were people who died when they lied, Ananias and Sapphira famously, or in Corinthians, people died by not taking seriously holy things. God will not be mocked. He is holy. 
Uh, then the churches will know, verse 23, that I am he who, let's keep going with the verse, who searches hearts and minds and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. He, God is burning in his light and purity and he searches us. Uh, as you, you may remember, as you're coming to faith in Jesus, you will have experienced it, uh, uh, becoming aware that there was, you weren't quite as good as you thought you were. From time to time, uh, on the Alpha course, someone will say, I don't think this is working. <laughs> you say, well, what do you mean it's not working? Well, I thought if I came to Alpha and got to know God better, I should become better as a person. I'm not getting better, I'm getting worse. And actually what's happening is God is shining his light into their hearts. And you're bec they're becoming aware or you're becoming aware of what's wrong inside. When you're miles away from God, you're not aware of what's wrong inside. When he shines his light in, you become aware of it. And God in his holiness shines his light to us. So I want to ask you today, is there anything that God is shining his light into in your life that needs attention? Uh, I've spent this week uh, dealing with quite a lot of people who've got caught up in various addictions. Alcohol, money through gambling, pornography. These are things that get hold of you. Now you may not be caught up in an addiction like that. If you are you will need someone's help. You won't be able to do that, to deal with that on your own. We'd love to talk and pray that through with you, one of the clergy team or a small group leader or down at the well. We'd love to help you. But God usually puts his finger on things before they become that bad so we can deal with them. He gives time to repent, but that time runs out eventually. So if he's saying something to you, do deal with it. If you're feeling blanket rubbish about everything in your life, that's probably not God. That's probably the devil who wants you to give up and just feel so hopeless you might as well give up. God tends to shine his searchlight, point out with a finger, as it were, let's deal with that thing. And then the next thing. So 38 years ago, when I bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord at the age of 18, uh, God started pointing out some things that needed attention. Uh, most of those are dealt with. One or two of them are recurring issues. But now he's pointing out a whole load of things, which if you'd told me about them then, I would have thought, well, that feels trivial, but it no longer feels trivial. And if I'm still around in another 38 years' time, by which time I may become a godly old boy, who knows, I'm sure there'll be things God's still pointing out. Until Jesus returns, we're on a journey. He is making us more and more actually holy. Uh, we're becoming what our status is. So if there's anything where we're following, where we're compromising our faith, God, by his Holy Spirit, will convict us. We need to deal with it. Uh, but if there isn't, we need to hold on firm to where we are. So that's what comes next to the church in Thyatira, verses 24 to 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have till I come. There is tremendous freedom in following Jesus. Uh, the two errors, one of them is sort of license and immorality, but the church, when it says no to that, often goes the other way and becomes Pharisaic legalists. Jesus wants you to be free. We don't need to be legalistic about stuff, but nor are we to be immoral. There is a great freedom, and the risen Jesus says, I'm not laying anything else on you. Avoid food sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality. Now hold firm. Hold on to what you have. Uh, there's an ancient G family crest, which is a fairly blunt Anglo-Saxon thing of a mailed fist holding a dagger. There are, there are various wordings around it. One of them is, what I have, I hold, which you can read positively or negatively. 
But in this case, I take it positively. I'm holding on to Jesus and the truth of his word, and I'm going to hold on to that. Uh, one of my ancestors changed it to, with this sword, we punish tyrants. I rather like that. We're going to <laughs> but the, what we have, we're to hold on to. This is a Christian family thing. Hold firm to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, we need to take time every day with his word and in prayer. If we're not doing that, slowly and surely, the world will disciple us to be more godless. We need to meet with others and talk and pray. We'll, if we're on our own, we'll easily be picked off. Uh, but Jesus is faithful. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. We needn't fear. It is difficult to live for him in the world. Uh, and it's a tightrope. And we need others to share that journey with us. Uh, there are wonderful promises for those who do as we just come to the end of this letter. The last couple of verses, 26 to 28. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, two things. I'll give authority over the nations. And there's a quote from Psalm 2 that talks about God's king. Uh, now, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like. But again and again, Jesus said that in glory we will reign with him. So the parable of the talents, if you're faithful with five talents or ten, you'll be put in charge of five or ten things in glory. We can't quite get our heads around what that will look like, but it's about being with Jesus, reigning over the world in, in good health. Uh, the second one is more clear. I will also give that one the morning star. Now that's clear because right at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus tells us what the morning star is. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony of the churches. I am the root and offspring of David. I am the bright morning star. Jesus will give you more of himself. If you hold firmly to what you have, to your faith in him, and if you refuse to compromise your faith in him, and do your best to follow him, uh, this tightrope of being in the world, but not of it, being his ambassadors uh, in a place where increasingly our world has turned its back on God and doesn't know about Jesus or his values. He will give more of himself. This is the dynamic as we come to communion. We come with empty hands. We've confessed our sin. We bring nothing of ourselves and we receive everything. The bread and wine is a symbol of Jesus himself. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we pray that for those of us who receive him by faith, by his spirit, they become to us more of Jesus and we become more truly like him uh, now all this takes time if you're not very strong and you start having a personal trainer or going to the gym your muscles don't grow fast instantly but over a period of years you grow stronger this process of becoming more like Jesus is a day by day week by week month by month steady walk through life uh, it's very rarely dramatic Plants that grow dramatically often can't sort of, their, their roots can't sustain them. The roots go down uh, and the plant grows. Uh, we won't be holy in a hurry, but we can be intentional. Daily time with the scriptures in prayer, meeting with others, prayer triplets, formation, small group, however it is what works for you. Uh, giving and forgiving. And as God by his spirit points out what we need to deal with, dealing with it. So let's stand and we'll commit this to prayer. I wonder if the band would come back ready to lead us in a song in just a moment. Uh, the children are staying out in their groups today. So we've got all the time now from a song right through communion to sort of process this with the Lord. Do keep the time as quiet as is possible.
as we receive communion. Just worship the Lord for what he's given you. If he points something out to you, process with him. Um, are the prayer team available to be by the spiral stairs? So during communion, our prayer team will be by the spiral stairs. If you want someone to pray with you, you might receive communion first and go pray. You might want to pray with them first. Either way, do take that opportunity. Let's be still. Lord Jesus, we bow afresh in your presence. You are the Holy One. All of us are aware of just how far short we fall of your holiness. We praise you for the wonder of forgiveness. Wash us clean afresh and help us know. But we thank you that you love us enough to make us want to become more like you, more holy, more the people you've made us to be. So come by your spirit and show us what the next thing for us is. What's the next step in this journey of being made holy, of sanctification? Is there something you would have us cut out? Is there something you'd have us lean into and do more of? Come Holy Spirit and speak to us, we pray. Jesus wants to give us his peace. We might be a bit concerned by what we look on the outside. God's far more concerned about what's going on on the inside. And there was a picture probably inspired by the rain outside of someone with muddy trousers and the rain was just washing the mud off. So come, Lord, more by your spirit, your rain, as it were, and rain on us and wash away the mud and the dirt that we would be clean. And do that even as we sing. And we ask it in your great name. Amen.